Blessings to all of you. Thank you for being here this morning. It's always a joy to see you. How many have come to the house of the Lord with expect? It's a rhetorical question because I think most of you would raise your hands, but would you come to the house of the Lord expecting and believing that God is going to do something special? very important my friends when you come to church that you come with expectation you come believing you come with anticipation because whenever God's Word is preached it's not a mere book or a novel there's life the Spirit gives birth to what God wants to do and that's why his word the Bible says, will never return void and so God has something very special for you and for me as we hear his word today, my text is found in 2 Kings chapter 5. One of the most incredible stories in the entire word of God. Fascinating story. So many life lessons. So many things. We can get every, every, every sentence there's a life lesson. And we begin here in verse number 1. Now Naaman, the captain of the hosts of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria and he was also a mighty man of valor but but he was a leper wow and the Syrians had gone out by the companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid and she waited on Naaman's wife and she said unto her, Mistress, would God my Lord were with the prophet that in, is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is in the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel, and he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand pieces of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I a God to kill and to make alive? That this man doth sent unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray thee, see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so that Elisha the man of God had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes and he sent to the king saying wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes let him come now to me and he shall know that there was a prophet in Israel and so Naaman came to the in his horses and with his chariots and stood at the door of the house of Elisha and Elisha sent a messenger unto him saying go and wash in the Jordan seven times 
and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean but Naaman was angry he went away and said behold I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of, of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel may I not wash in them and be clean so he turned and went away in anger and his servants came close and spake unto him and said my father if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing wouldst thou not have done it how much rather then would he saith to thee wash and be clean then went he down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God and his flesh came again like on the flesh of a little child Wow! what a fascinating story filled with life lessons and I want to begin this morning by way of introduction let me say that we're going to be looking at two different characters that are completely the opposite bipolar to say the least one extreme one so completely different from another and you know I believe many times God brings people together especially by twos so that we can see the difference in their lives so we can glean spiritual truth from them we see many pairs in the Bible many different pairs for instance Cain and Abel we have Jacob and Esau there's Saul and there's David there's the rich man and there's Lazarus and we see the contrast in these characters why so we can learn from the good and avoid from the bad and so there's always contrasts that we need to learn from and that's what we want to do this morning we want to draw some of these life lessons as we study their lives and see the difference between Naaman the Gentile Syrian general and Gehazi the assistant pastor if you will to the prophet Elisha and so let's say by begin by saying that Naaman started as this Syrian Gentile who was well esteemed but the Bible says he was a leper but ended up as a servant of God and we have the contrast Gehazi who started off as a servant of God but ended up as a leper can you imagine to put it in perspective brothers and sisters Gehazi was in the church and Naaman was in the world knew nothing about the Lord and so we want to look at this incredible narrative and glean some truths today and the first thing we need to notice is this Gentile, he's not Jew, he's not Hebrew, general called Naaman. His background, he's the captain of this army. His servants called him great. He was respected by everybody. 
You know, it's one thing, you know, when, when people don't know you, they just hear of you, they might respect you, not, you know, they hear some good things, but they don't live with you, they don't know you, you know, but when, when people who work with you, when people who live with you, when people get to see your day by day, your living, and they look at you and they say, that's an honorable man, that's a man of respect, there's something good about him, it, it, it's, it's a big difference when someone knows you very well. His servants knew him very well. People knew this man. And they said that he is a man of honor and respect and dignity. And that was important. And what's interesting, the Bible says, watch this now, that the Lord, this is the Lord Jehovah God. But pastor, hold on a second, I thought he was a Gentile. I thought he was a non-believer. Well, you're absolutely right. He was a non-believer and he served his gods. So how in the world does God bless this Gentile? Well, because my friends, God can do whatever he wants. And uh, I can also tell you that God has blessed many people uh, who have no idea who God is because God has a purpose and he's got a plan and many times God uses people that you would never use. He called Cyrus in Isaiah 45 verse 1 his servant. Cyrus was a Persian king, another Gentile. But you see, God used Cyrus to deliver Israel from the Babylonian captivity. You see, God will use different people, different governments. Because he's got a plan. God has something in store, something in mind. And he doesn't always use the people that you think he'd use. And when you look at the nations of the world, the, we, know, we see that God is in control. Many times we don't think that God is in control. We see all the chaos, all the fighting, all the horrific things that are happening in this world. And, and we scratch our head and we say to ourselves, well, where is God in all of this? Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, God has everything in control he's certainly not sweating he's not scratching his head and he's saying oh I, I didn't I didn't think this would happen let me tell you something we know that God is in control and he will use one that he wants to use and we see this very clearly in the book of Daniel chapter 2 Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he's all confused and he has this, he sees a statue it's a big statue it's got head of gold it's got two arms of, of silver the, 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 the abdomen is of bronze and the legs are made out of iron and, and there's some clay going into the ten toes and, and nobody could interpret this and it really bothered the king and finally Daniel was summoned and Daniel came out of obscurity and he says, Nebuchadnezzar, I can interpret this dream, but, but I need time to pray because I'm not the one who interprets. It's God who interprets. And so he prays. And the very next day, he, he meets with Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm going to tell you what the Lord has said, King Nebuchadnezzar. You are the head of gold. And this was dangerous for Daniel because he could have lost his life with the next statement he was going to make. But you're not going to last very long, Nebuchadnezzar, because someone's going to come and destroy your kingdom, and they're the Persians. And so specific is the Bible, the Bible mentions two kingdoms that will come under one umbrella. And they were exactly two kingdoms, the Medes and the Persians, under one, expressed by two arms. But they won't last very long either. Oh, they'll be big and mighty and vast. But they'll be a smaller nation. And when Daniel prophesied about the Greek nation, Greece was only a colony at the time. He said, but there'll be a nation 
My wife mentioned Alexander the Great will come and he'll destroy the Persians and that's exactly what happened. Greece is represented by the, the brass or the bronze abdomen. The nation of Greece was the only nation in all of history that used bronze for their military swords and spears and shields. But then Greece would not last very long and Rome would come in signifying the iron fist of Rome with the legs and the ten toes which we are still living in today and verse 45 of Daniel chapter 2 says and one day there'll be another kingdom that's not made by the hands of men and they will come and destroy all these kingdom and that kingdom will last forever and ever Daniel prophesies what's my point in saying this God has everything in control you may not like what's happening in Canada. I'm not a big fan of, of, of Trudeau either. But let me tell you something. God still has them there for a reason. I can't figure it out. But that's just the way it is. God is in control of every little thing. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And let me tell you something. He also orders the steps of others. But they may not even see it. And so God gave them the victory. And I want you to see this. All of Naaman's greatness, all of his victories, shrivels because of the last five words. But, but, Naaman is a leper. Ah, he's got all these victories. He's got love and respect by everybody. But he's a leper. What? That's like, as I've said, you have to, I think I've said, you go to the doctor, you know, you go for a checkup, you, you, your eyes are good, your ears are great, you've got good heart, you know, your liver's fine, you, your pancreas is doing well, you, your knees, your bones are doing well, everybody, everything is going well, the doctor says, uh, but, 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 but you have cancer. A leper, does anybody know what leprosy is? It's horrific. Leprosy. It's fully it's, it's it's difficult for us here in Canada to fully grasp what kind of disease this is. To be a leper would be akin, I guess, or similar to having skin cancer or a flesh eating disease. I've seen this when I was in India. When I preached in India, I went to a colony. Uh wasn't allowed to go in, but I, I was just there and I we just do what we can to, 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 to feed them, but we didn't go near, we, we weren't allowed. And I saw some of the, they, they bandaged their face, they don't want to be seen, but what the, this disease does, it, it literally eats the extremities, and uh, y your nose eventually, it's like a flesh-eating disease, it falls off, and your fingers and your toes, they start to decay and shrivel. It's a horrific, horrific disease. And, and the Bible speaks of leprosy. And really, when someone was a leper, people were, were, you know, weren't supposed to leave the house because it was considered to be uh, sinful. And you, were, you, you would be a, a sinner if you had leprosy. And you were shunned and you weren't allowed to be in the public. It was a horrible thing to be a leper. And so Naaman, for the rest of his life, is in search for some kind of cure. Now some scholars believe he didn't have a full case leprosy, probably not because he was still able to function. But certainly he had signs of leprosy and it was growing. And he was looking for some kind of cure. And, and so one day, one ordinary day, one day, no different than the next, 
Naaman's life completely changes as he hears something. He didn't expect to hear it. But he heard something one day. He heard a word that brought hope. Suddenly something happened. Suddenly he heard some news that he's been wanting to hear most of his life. How many know that you, one day from the next, that, that one day can make a difference? That one day that you, you don't know when that one day will come. It's usually a very ordinary day. It's usually, I'll give you an M, it's very, it's a, it's a day, but it's like a mundane day. It's, it's just something ordinary. You know, and that's the problem. Sometimes we miss the magnificent because, because we're stuck in the mundane. But out of the mundane, God can cause the magnificent. Out of the ordinary, God can cause the extraordinary. But it was an ordinary day for Naaman, and he hears this incredible news from the least of all people. The least, who, who's going to tell him a little girl a little servant girl that he got from Israel and you'd figure maybe she'd be bitter against him you know, I don't want to be a servant a slave to this king but she she said something that changed his life just an ordinary day and I want to park here for just a minute, friends, because you don't know from one day to the next what God can do in your life. I'm thinking of that woman that had scoliosis or that woman that was bent over for 18 years. She couldn't... You ever see people... You, uh, you, you don't see... They just can't... They're, they're, they have a curvature. They can't move. Their, their back is like this. They're stuck in that position. There was a lady for 18 years... What's interesting about her in Luke 13, the Bible says she would go to the Sabbath every single Saturday. She'd be in church every single Saturday for years, years, years. Every single Saturday. Every single Saturday. She wouldn't miss one Sabbath day. 18 years. She's there. She's there Saturday after Saturday. No excuse. I got pain. What are people going to think of me? I'm bent over. I'm ashamed. No, 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 no. I'm going to the house of the Lord because, because you never know what God can do on just an ordinary Saturday and year after year she's there but ah one day one Saturday when she least expected when the mundane became the magnificent when the ordinary became extraordinary she just walks in and little did she know that mercy was looking at her Mercy had a gaze of mercy saw her. Mer Jesus saw her. Nobody else saw her, but Jesus saw her. Oh, it was just an ordinary day. An ordinary day that became extraordinary, but what was extraordinary about the ordinary is that this ordinary woman had extraordinary faith. Notice verse 2, here we see this little girl, she's not even named. She's not even named. God's going to do something through her. You see, in her mind there was a cure. She knows something that Naaman needs to know. She's not bitter. She's a slave girl, a Hebrew girl. He's a Syrian Gentile. The Syrians fight against the Hebrews. 
was their enemies. She could have been bitter. She could have been upset. But she wasn't. Oh, there's a sermon there. I wish I had more time to talk about that. But she's glad to let Naaman know that there's a prophet in the land. Unknown girl. Unknown, unknown, insignificant it seems, ordinary, just nothing, just the mundane. Yes, yes, through this unknown servant, yes, my brothers and my sisters, through a little boy's lunch, a little boy's lunch. Yeah, 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 just loaves and some fish. And Jesus took this little boy's lunch, this ordinary little boy's lunch, and turned the ordinary into the extraordinary. And 5,000 got fed blessed from the ordinary came the extraordinary was it from the king was it from from the one who owned the restaurant down the road who was it from the nobleman was it from the governor no it was from a little boy's lunch ordinary you see Naaman had no idea how God was about to do something that he can only dream of what do I see I see as you've heard me preach over and over again I see the ambidextrous God going subterranean once again I see God working behind the scenes once again yeah yeah we're gonna see God's right hand of power a little bit later on in our story when God heals Naaman but 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 what I want to focus in on is God's left hand the ambidec the left hand where nobody's looking he's working where nobody's working he's got a little girl at the right place where nobody's looking he's got the right circumstances the right case everything is seems to be falling together yeah he God gave him victory how can that be God arranged Naaman to meet the why why was it this servant girl that he picked why this girl why this slave God working behind the scenes you see friends with God nothing just happens there's a reason and purpose for everything and stop saying oh but you know if it wasn't for him then I could and if she didn't then I got a good Greek word you know that word hogwash God is in control even the things that you think there's no God has purpose for that too what do you think it means when God said all things work together for what what all things except your circumstances except that person that you may th- all things all the things that you don't like all the things that you say there's no way all those difficulties and look the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord the steps plural even the bad steps she's the one who leads Naaman to God verse 4 and so Naaman who is starving for a cure hears this news and now Naaman knows nothing about the Lord. He knows nothing about her faith. She's a Hebrew slave. And so naturally he went according to his own thinking and customs. And what does he do? He takes some money and some gifts with him to give to Elisha. He hears that there's this prophet Elisha. So I, I, I'm going to go to his house. It's the custom. You know, we have this custom also as Greeks and Italians. We, we like to go somewhere. We give, you know, we, we bring some food or some, you know, flowers. Or we, we have, the, a lot of people do this, you know, can 
candies or, or someone will bake something and, and present it. You bring something. You bring a gift. And, uh, and of course, Naaman's a rich general. So he's got all kinds of money and clothing. And so he's got all this stuff. And he's going to go to Elisha's house. And he's going to present his gifts in uh, uh, just, just because that's what they do. And so there was no problem with that. And so he arrives. This seemed acceptable. To Naaman, he's, I'm sure, has done this before. But I see something. I, I, <laughs> there's so many things I see in this text, and I, by the grace of God, I want to be able to share them with you. I, I see something here, though. I, it's, not, it's not at face value. I see something that's maybe, again, subterranean. There's something I see here. What, what do I see? Well, is it possible that Naaman is saying, you know, I'm going to buy my cleansing. I... I'm going to do something about this. Maybe it's going to cost me something. I, I know that nothing is for free. So I'm going to earn this by what I do. I'm going to earn this. So I'm going to, I'm going to pay him. I'm going to pay him something. Oh, my friends, look, look uh, stay with me. Look, how many people think today that they can somehow buy their salvation? Oh, my God. How many people today think that they can earn their way closer to God? So let me see. If I was a Catholic, if I can just go on my knees and, and climb up those stairs on my knees and bleed, then I'm going to show God how humble I am. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or, or, or if I'm in another church, um, me and the offering plate goes by. Yeah. If I put a thousand dollars in that plate, maybe God is gonna, maybe God's gonna bless me. Maybe God's gonna show me favor if I just do something. Maybe, maybe if I end up doing this or if I end up doing that, you know, God will say, "Oh, you're a, you're good." And so maybe I can earn earn something from God by doing something. Maybe I can be acceptable by doing something. Doing something. Buying my salvation. Earning my salvation. Oh, my friends. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we're not saved by works. Lest any man boast. But it's, it's a gift. By grace. Through faith in Jesus Christ. You can't earn your healing. Naaman, you can't buy your healing. That's what the sorcerer did in Acts 8. He saw the miraculous through Peter. And he said, Peter, can I buy this gift? And Peter what? And he smoke, got smoked by the Holy Spirit. You can't buy the things of God. You can't earn the things of God. You can't just press some kind of button and all of a sudden you begin to speak in tongues. You can't just do wave a wand and all of a sudden you're laying hands on the sick and they're recovering. No, my friends. But I also see something else. How many are trying to do God's will, man's way? Oh, we're going deeper this morning. Just stay with me. Hold on to your hats and fasten those seatbelts because we're going full today. How many people want to do God's will, man's way? Abraham? You're going to have a child, but my, my wife is barren, Lord. That, 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 that's impossible. You will have a child. He's 75 years old. He hears this news. He gets excited. 
by and by, he's 78, he's 80, he's now 90. I don't have a child yet, Lord. And so Abraham decides to help God out. Let me see, what can I do? Okay, maybe, maybe if I find a woman, you know, I'll just find a woman, and maybe if I have sex with her, you know, I'll have a baby. And so he goes down south into the natural mind thing. This is, this is, the, this is Abraham, folks. This isn't your neighbor across the street that goes to church once a year, you know. Uh, maybe I'm going to help out God, and he goes to Egypt. Listen. Whenever you go to Egypt, you're going to get in trouble, I'll tell you. South, nothing wrong with the land of Egypt, that's the principle I'm talking about. And he meets a, a woman by the name of Hagar, became a concubine, had a baby, and we are suffering today because of that one mistake. I'm going to help her doing God's will, man's way. David had a problem with that too. When he received the ark back from the Philistines, he was all excited. Wanted to bring it to Jerusalem, bring it into the temple eventually. It wasn't built yet, but the altar was going to be built, and he was all excited. And so he's dancing and he's praising God. He's got the music and he's with the ark. And, and there it is on the cart that the Philistines gave them. And they're really all excited. And all of a sudden, the cart hits some kind of stone of sorts. And it seems to tumble. And it shifts. And the priest, I guess he's sincere. He's going to be. He wants to rescue the ark from falling. What a horrible thing for the ark to fall on the ground. Unconscionable. And as he's doing that, God smites him. David couldn't understand. He's broken. He doesn't want the ark anymore and he puts it away. Ibn Obam and there he's for three months. He's being blessed. David couldn't understand what's going on until David started to do some research. And as he read the word of God, always go back to the word of God. Don't go to the fads and the certain people that might think they got the answer. You go, what does the Bible say? He goes back to the Word of God and he, he remembers, he sees that if you're going to transport the ark, you must do it God's way. He's given a prescription. You take the ark and you put it uh, on the poles uh, uh, and, and, and that's on the ark on the sides and you have them carried by the priest and they're supposed to carry it upon their shoulders. There's a prescription how you do things, David. You don't do God's will man's way how many people today are trying to do God's will man's way now you think about it for a moment and so Naaman takes 20,000 pieces of silver 60,000 pieces of gold 10 suits of clothing that's a lot and he was told to go to Elisha's home that's great and I'm going to bring these gifts with him. I'm sure that Elisha is going to be impressed how rich I am. And maybe he can give me another blessing too. And so Naaman's all excited and he's right up to the door where the little girl lives. That's where Elisha lived as well. She was his servant. He's all excited. In verse 10, Elisha doesn't even come 
to greet him? Verse 10, and there's Elisha's servant mentioned to him saying, go and wash, that's all he says, just go and wash in the Jordan. Excuse me? Just go and wash. Well, where's Elisha? Why are you telling me this? You're just his servant. I want to see him face to face. I came all this way. I've got these gifts to give him. He's expecting to see the prophet and he sees his servant. And his servant callously just tells him, no introduction, no niceties, no come have a cup of coffee. I've got some baklava here, you know. I've got some tiropitis and some spanakopita. Come on, just get... No, not at all. Some cannolis, you know. No, 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 no. Go and dip yourself seven times in Jordan. Excuse me. What? what? You came all this way to hear this? To, to where? The Jordan? That dirty... Go jump in the lake! Another... What? That's the title of my message, by the way. I was going to say river, but it doesn't go. Go jump in the lake. Go, go dip yourself seven times in the, the Jordan, that di dirty place, the, the Jordan. Excuse me, do, do you not know who I am, Mr. Servant, whatever your name is? You better go tell this prophet, whoever he is, that Naaman is here. How dare he send, who, does he not know who I am? Who does he think he, he is? talks to me like this, like I'm some... Has, has God ever done something or allowed something to take place in your life that you were absolutely dumbfounded with? You couldn't believe? How can this be? This just, just doesn't make sense. Have you ever been in a situation where life and, the, and what you're going through simply does not make sense on every level? You could have at least prayed for me. Elisha, you, you can at least come down and see me. Okay, I'm not asking to have a, you know, five-course meal here, but can, can you come and at least pray for me? You're a prophet, aren't you? Well, maybe you can come and lay your hands on me at least. I mean, you're a prophet, aren't you? You, you just send your servant to give me these words to, to go jump in the lake. That's, that's the message. That's, that's the cure. That's what... Why I brought all my money and for this? How insulting. How insulting. Naaman was offended. Ah, uh, but you see, friends, this tells me you can't buy your healing. You can't earn your cleansing. You can't come in your own pompousness and your own hubris spirit. God is not interested in that. In fact, He doesn't look upon the person that God looks upon is a man of a contrite spirit, a man who's broken, a man who trembles at my word. And there's something that you need to learn, Mr. Neiman. It's a very hard pill to swallow, especially if you're unsaved. Naaman is so used to buying everything and getting everything, getting his own way. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you used to getting your own way? Verse 11 says, Naaman's reaction, he got furious. And look what he says. Behold, oh, I like to look at every word. Don't you like to look at every word? I like every word. Behold, I thought. But I thought this is how God is supposed to operate. I thought this is what you're supposed to do. I thought in church we're supposed to have. But isn't it supposed to be this way? I mean, I've been in church for 25 years, and I, for the last 25 years, this is how we always did it. When I came to church, we always played the piano, and now we're doing it. Well, what's going on? here I thought I thought have you ever thought God something you know I thought that you and I thought it was supposed to be and I thought and wasn't it spo- I thought and we go through what I call the paralysis of analysis, you know. Wait a minute, this, is not, this shouldn't have been, I don't understand what happened. And we start to think, and we start to mull, we can't sleep anymore. We're mulling, we're thinking, and I thought, and wasn't it this way? How come I, I should have done it? I thought, I thought, I had it all figured out. I had it all figured out, I had it all planned. Everything was planned. I, I organized. I had this preconceived agenda. I thought. The Bible tells me that it is not in man to direct his ways. Jeremiah chapter 10. The Bible says when you commit yourself to the Lord, He will direct your paths. The Bible says as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The Bible says that He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And the Bible also says that the man's heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And a man's heart that's wicked, I thought. I thought. Oh, my friends, you've anybody who's heard me preach more than three times, so there's no what I'm going to say next. Can you quote it with me? Write your plans in and give God the. Write your plans in and give God. Now, let me ask you something. If you lived by that, or if you lived like that, I can, I don't promise many things. I promise you, if you can live by that, you'll be a much, I'm going to say happier, but I don't like that word, you'll be a person that is truly content because you'll learn to trust Him even when you can't trace Him. And that's usually where the problems come. Oh, I want to do this, and next month I'm doing that, and we're going to go here, and, and we're going to do this, and we're going to eat that, and we're going to, I'm going to school next year, and I, God willing. So we might go to Greece in 2025. Lord willing. We might be going to Santorini in the cruise and they have the, the restaurant, we have some baklava. Lord willing. We might go to the church in Corinth and begin to share the God. Lord willing. Am I right? We, everything is Lord willing. Why? Because God is in control and I'm not. You see, it's the natural mind that's the problem. 
Are you ready for another life lesson? You see, God will offend your mind, the natural mind, to reveal your heart. He'll offend you. He'll offend that situation. He'll offend that circumstances. You're going to scratch, you're going to say, well, wait a minute, I thought. But isn't this how you normally operate, God? I thought if I go through this routine, if I follow this particular pattern, you know, one, two, three, then this is going to happen. If I would just, just go up and follow. No. And so now you're offended. How many people get offended? And when they get offended, they miss out what God wants in their life. Do you know if that woman, that Sarah Phoenician woman, who had a daughter that was possessed by a devil, she went all this way to speak to Jesus. She had to go through the, the disciples that were t- telling her to stop and to go back home, to leave Jesus alone. She finally gets an audience with Jesus. Jesus calls her a dog, which means a Gentile, but she t- it was a very offensive term. It could have been. She could have taken it that way. So I'm not, I haven't come to give bread to you. I've come to give bread to my people, not to the children of Israel, not to you. She could have been offended three, four, five times. People are just so easily offended. If she would have got offended and walked away she would have never received a miracle God will offend your mind to reveal who you really are are you still going to trust him when it doesn't make sense are you still going to believe to him believe in him when people maybe are against you Naaman's mind has been completely offended. He has no idea what's going on. So what was God doing in giving this 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 prescription for healing? But I thought I thought the Bible says that you go to the priest in the Old Testament and the priest will perform certain sacrifices and rituals and, 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 and there's a healing that comes he heals me with hyssop you, in Psalm 51 there's a hyssop plant isn't there a protocol for healing I, I, uh, why would God give a prescription like this God is stripping him of his pride as he does with every man of God that he wants to use if you want to be used in the kingdom of God get prepared to be stripped I'm talking about internally get prepared to be crushed I'm talking about internally let me tell you something when you think of the other prophet Elisha this is Elisha's mentor Elijah God called him to prophesy when Ahab was around and Jezebel the most nastiest king queen that no words to describe the debauchery and barbarity that she released upon Israel prophesied that that there's going to be a famine, there'll be no rain no food prophesied against the teachings and the lifestyle of Jezebel and Ahab and they were out to destroy him and now Elisha's on the run and he ends up in chapter 17 and 18 in a book called Shabar there's a famine in the land he prophesied it but God was going to take care of him but God had to teach Elijah something because there was something in his heart that he didn't even know he had you know friends there's things in our hearts that we don't even realize we have that God needs to deal with even though you might be called to the ministry or maybe you have a, a something 
special going on, but God still needs to deal with you. And so God needed to deal with Elijah's heart, so he sends him to the place called the book of Shabar. And there the Bible says, the water needs will be there, you'll be able to drink water. The ravens will come and feed you food. Ravens, Lord, they, ravens are unclean birds. What, what do you, then here we go again, God uh, testing and fending, doing things that doesn't seem to make sense, using an unclean bird, using a Gentile king. Lord, what's going on here? Can you trust me when life doesn't make sense? All of a sudden, the brook dries up. Oh Lord, here we go again. I thought ravens was a problem. I thought I'm full. Now, now the brook, you told me you provide water and food. Now I got no food. I got no water. What's, and now, now, and then God says, oh Lord, please, no more. I can't go through this crushing anymore. Now I want you to go to Zarephath. But Zarephath, that was about 50 miles through a desert. Excuse me? Yeah, got no water. Food is scarce. And now you want me to walk through this heat through a desert. Okay. What was God doing? God was dealing with me. Purging, cleansing, getting rid of all that stuff inside of him that he didn't even realize he might have. That pride, that self-assurance, that arrogance, that, that a lot of prophets have. You ever hear all these prophets out there? Well, yeah, I'm a prophet, you know, and this, this is what God says, and thus saith, and everybody. There's all kinds of people like that today. They always think they have the answer. They always tell the pastor what to do. I know nobody here in Logosa. Don't worry about that. So, he ends up in Zarephath, and he needs to eat. He's hungry, starving. And who does God appoint? To meet his needs? Another Gentile who's a widow who's starving and is waiting to die herself. But, but Lord, you're killing me. You're killing me, Lord. How can... well, that's exactly right. What did Jesus say if you want to be my disciple? What do you have to do? Deny yourself, pick up the cross, and do you not see a form of death there too? That's the problem with many of us. We're too alive to ourselves. What we want, what I want, me, this is my... You know, whom God uses the most, He crushes the most. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So every prosperity teacher out there that's watching me on Facebook or YouTube, your teaching's wrong. <laughs> it's simple as that. To reflect the light, you must never seek the limelight. To reflect the light, 
you must never seek the limelight. And it's very easy to seek the limelight when God's given you an opportunity to deal with a lot of people. Naaman was a great general. That's why a lot of ministers, they fall because certain things happen that they start getting a little bit arrogant and self-contained as God begins to bless if we're not careful we're gonna think oh did you see what I did did you see how well I preached and how well I taught wow you see the response I had hmm your faith will be tested my friend as God tested all the great men every single woman every single man that God used was severely in fact Abraham the Bible says was intensely tried Genesis chapter 22 verse 1 because it didn't make sense for him to sacrifice his son Gideon was intensely tried when God told him another prescription of how to have a great army and so how do you have a great army well you got to enroll in army school and you gotta go through training and you gotta get weights and lift and get strong and you gotta know how to swirl a sword and a spear and you gotta know how to ride a horse and you gotta go through all this training okay wonderful Lord and now the Amalekites come against Gideon and it's time to go into battle and God says to Gideon oh by the way Gideon your army yeah you Thank you for asking. Your army, uh, there's not going to be thousands of people in your army. I know there's 10,000 Amalekites coming against you. Look, uh, give me 300 men. And by the way, uh, this army that you're going to have, uh, you're going to choose them by how they drink water. I don't care how strong they are. I don't care how, how effective they are. I don't care how many degrees they have. If they drink a certain way, that's what's going to qualify. Again, God doing things that does not make sense. I thought, I thought, I thought God is stripping, God is crushing, God is molding. Verse 12, Naaman is so angry, he goes back, he, he wants to go back to Syria. Pride usually reacts that way. He says, he says, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to dip myself in this dirty Jordan water. I'm going back to Syria. There are at least two rivers there that are much cleaner, better, and even deeper. Waters aren't even deep here. I'm not going to... There's no way I'm going here. That's how usually pride responds. And so watch this. His name is turning back to go home to Syria. Another one of his nameless servants come on the scene isn't it amazing every person that Naaman that God used in Naaman's life was an unnamed servant a nobody an ordinary this servant just excuse me great general but maybe you're a little bit too hasty don't let these words offend you oh God. look at the people 
that were used in Naaman's life. You figure these significant people from his cabinet, from his brain trust, from his government. No, not at all. First one was this little girl we just read. Second one, a servant brought message to Elisha, to Naaman. Third one now here, this servant in his camp. My friends, you need to pay close attention when people speak to you. You need to be careful. Don't, don't estimate someone's opinion or someone's uh, uh, concepts because, you know, well, they didn't really go to school. They didn't really study. Well, look at them. They hardly graduated. Look at them. They're from this kind. Well, they're from the other side of the tracks. I'm not going to listen there. But look at them. Look at them. They got no, 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 no class. They got no clout. I'm not going to listen to them. She's just a peasant. Listen to her. Who do you think you are? I'm the general here. Are you going to tell me what to do? Mr. Naming General, sir, maybe you're just a little bit too hasty. Just maybe. Just maybe because maybe there's something to be learned here. Why do you think the Bible says to be careful, be careful, be careful? Some of us have entertained certain people but that are angels and we weren't even aware of it. Sometimes we are talking to people or people are talking to us, we don't even realize it. That person that you think is a person could be an angel. You don't know who you're talking to. You don't know who's coming to speak to you. These things that you think are coincidence. Let me there's Get that word out of your vocabulary. There's no such thing as a coincidence with God. Get, can you, this is for free. There's another word you've got to get out of your vocabulary. Luck. Please, if I hear another Christian say, oh, you know, I was lucky. Listen, stop it. There's no such thing as luck. And there's no such thing as a coincidence. With God, they do not exist. Either God is in it or he's not. Either God has ordained it or he hasn't. No luck, no coincidence. And the people you meet or the people that you are sent to, God has a reason. It might be an ordinary event, it might be something that's just average, no glamour, just ordinary, but you don't know who God is sending to you. And the opposite, or who God is sending you to. When I went to Los Angeles, I was a 19-year-old kid. I left Montreal, I had nothing. I had $200 in my pocket, no job, no green card. I just left. Those days I used to live off the, you know, talk about emotions, <laughs> the seat of my pants. My sister used to work in Montreal at Hilton. I was so green and inexperienced, I figured I'll go to the Hilton and at least stay there a night. Or, or maybe longer than that, I didn't know how much it cost. I went to the Hilton back in 19... Uh, so yeah, 1979 it was it was $85 a night back then, or 90 dollars. Forget how much it was a night back then, U.S. I said I was almost broke my first night there. I had no money, and I'm just contemplating. I, I, I'm not serving the Lord. I'm not. A, I'm not saved. I'm just thinking, what am I supposed? And I. Brothers and sisters, I got out of that, I paid my bill, and I was in disbelief because I just, where am I supposed to go? Where am I supposed to live? I was so 
impetuous. I didn't figure out where I'm staying. I didn't figure out what, nothing. I was just a kid on a dream, on some crazy vision. And as I'm contemplating, I was depressed. All of a sudden, this girl just walks by me. Never saw her before. Don't know who she is. She walks by me. She goes, oh, hi. So, who's this? Yeah. So, oh, are you looking for a place to stay? I go, what? Did I tell you this? Did we have coffee a few weeks ago? What? Who are you? Oh, no, I, you know, I have um, my aunt, Mrs. Barton. Mrs. Barton. She lives in, you know, in South Serrano, West Hollywood. She, she, she'd, I'm sure she'd have you come. I said, well, how much? Like, oh, really cheap. $70 a month. A month. And everybody in Toronto who lives in an apartment says... But that's okay. I said, I didn't say praise God. I didn't have a praise God. I'm saying praise God now. And so I end up going to her house. I took a bus. It took me like about five hours to get there. I finally got there. I said, oh, hi. I said, Miss Barton? Yes, that's me. I said, oh, hi. Thank you. You know, uh, your, uh, I forget her name was Carol, I think. I'm not sure. She says, you have a niece. She said you, she, she, you were her aunt. She, sent, she goes, who? My what? She had no niece, Carol, no, no aunt, nothing. This was an angel of the Lord. That's who that was. You don't know! From one day to the next, who God has. And maybe you can be that angel too, I don't know. point is, brothers and sisters, you should never minimize your role or minimize your opportunity. Nothing is ever too small. Do not despise the days of small beginnings. Verse 13. Watch this now. The servant says, if the prophet told you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? Of course. We think we always have to do the great thing, don't we? We always have to do the big thing. And so the servant says, well, how much more just to wash yourself in this, in this water? You see, God is in the small things, brothers and sisters. Did you see that? He's in the small things. It's not always the big things. Wasn't it a small, shabby, little, insignificant whip that Shamgar, the judge of Israel in Judges chapter 3, slew 600 Philistines with a whip? whip a whip <laughs> was it was it was it Samson that used the jawbone of a donkey to defeat a thousand Phil how do you do that a thousand Philistines with a jaw come here what's that how do you how do you fight that how do you do that and then then let's go for my favorite my favorite David he takes a little pebble takes a little pebble here this is a big pebble but and he puts it in his excuse me you're gonna be the monster nine feet tall and got equipment all over his face all he all he had was a little space here by the way 
History tells us when you look at the Philistine armament, and they, had, they, they were top to, but they had a, a little bit, about a, maybe an inch and a half right here, and that's exactly where the pebble went. God's in the small things, friends. Stop looking for the big, big things. The big things might come, but, but don't despise those small things. Jesus used a small little lunch to feed the thousands. The point, Naaman wanted to do God's will, man's way. There's two W's for you. God's will, man's way. But when God says seven, six is not enough. When God says seven times you're going down, don't try to manipulate and give me six. When God says seven, Naaman, I mean seven. Seven is important. You see, all of Naaman's life, he did things his way. Yeah, yeah, he did it his way. And God is saying, look, Naaman, you can't do it your way because my ways are not your ways. You got to trust me. And if I tell you seven, I mean seven. I don't mean six. I don't mean five. How many people are trying to do God's will, but you're trying to get a better, you're trying to bargain with God. But let me tell you, God is never on sale, my friend. You can't bargain with God. Oh, God, I love you, Lord. But, you know, can I just, you know, I know you don't want me, but can you just give me a bit of, can I just do some of this and a bit of this? And is it okay, Lord? I mean, you know, after all, I've been in the church for 25 years. Verse 14, and Naaman finally says, all right, I'm going to backtrack here. And he finds the Jordan. And Naaman possibly looks to see if anybody's looking at him. He feels a little ridiculous. I'm going to go dump. I'm going to take a dip in the, in the Jordan River. You know, he's still dealing with some things and he's looking around. Is somebody looking at me? This looks a little strange. I'm the great general. The point, what is God saying? See, see Naaman, you're not in control. You think you're in control, but you're not in control. Am I speaking to somebody on Facebook this morning? Maybe somebody on YouTube or possibly somebody in Logos. Do, do you think that you're in control? I know you want to be in control. I know you like to control some of you. Oh yeah, let that resonate for a little while. Just let that go deep. But you see, when you're in control, God is not. The only way God shows us that He's in control, my friends, is to allow situations to take place in your life where we cannot control. And stop always trying to fix everything. There's some fixers out here. Always trying to fix. Let me see if I can fix this and that fix. Nothing wrong with trying to fix. We've got to try to do these things. We've got to restore, the Bible says. But there's people that, but you see, why are you always trying to fix things? Are you trying to control things? Trying to fix things? Yeah, maybe you can't fix this thing because God is trying to use this thing to fix you. Naaman, you're not in control. I, I know that you think this. You've been in control all your life. But you've got to let go, Naaman. You've got to let go of your pride because going into that Jordan River seven times doesn't look very sophisticated. I know. I know that. 
Sometimes when we pray to God, we ask God, God, please, please, take this away from me. Take this problem away from me. Take it away from me. Take it away from me. It's too difficult. What does God say? God replies and He says, it's not for me to take it away, but for you to let it go. Let it go. Stop trying to hold on to things. Holding on. I, I'm in control of this. It's my thing. My holding on to it. Has anybody ever tried to hold on to sand? You ever try to hold on to sand? You ever try? You know, the more, the firmer you grasp the, 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 the grains, they just, they just, they, you can't, you can't hold on to sand. Some of you are trying to hold on to certain things. You can't let them go. You can't let it go. You, you're so dependent on it, you just can't let it go. And some of you, it's the opposite. You can't let go of bitterness and anger. That's even worse. Naaman, you've got to let go. I know you're, you're Mr. King and you're Mr. General, but you've got you to let go. You see, God is stripping him, hum, humbling him. And maybe you can hear Naaman counting as he's going down, or maybe his servants. One, okay. Okay, two, I'm doing good. Three, oh, okay. But uh, nothing's happening here. What's Four, no, no, still. I, I, you know what? This isn't working. This isn't working. I've been going down four times and nothing's happening. I, I'm, I'm going back home. I'm, I'm leaving. Has anybody... Has anybody started something? You felt God directed you somewhere? And all of a sudden, you know, after one, after two, after three, you haven't seen it, and you want to run away from it? I'm leaving. I'm not sticking around, but he continues. I feel like a fool, Lord, but I better keep going. I'm weak and discouraged but I got to keep pressing on my God maybe I've been praying I've been praying and it's not happening but God I got to keep on praying I've got to keep on going I might be worn out but I'm going to trust in the Lord there might be this huge storm and the ominous clouds are all over but I got to keep going I got to keep trusting because, because when God says seven six I don't know who I'm speaking to. I got to keep running this race, Lord. I, I got to keep walking. The Greek word for run is the word trecha. I've got a Greek scholar here, Daniel. My Greek scholar is back there. Is that true? Trecha? And the Greek word for walk, prepata? What is it in the Greek? Ah, you know what it means, Daniel? It means to keep walking and keep running. The Bible says we're running a race. It doesn't mean for 10 yards and you give up. The Bible always speaks of walking and running in the present participle. It's the same tense that Jesus uses when he says to ask, seek, and knock. Matthew 7. People tell me, oh, I prayed, I gave up, it didn't work. Jesus said, ask, see, all in the present participle. You have the prosperity teachers that tell you, or you just pray in faith and believe and that's all you need you just pray once 
wrong. The Bible says keep on praying, keep on seeking, keep on asking. It takes more faith to do that than to pray once and leave. So I'm in this race. I got to keep running. I'm in a race. I got to keep walking. Prepatao, trecha. We go to Greece, Lord willing. We'll do a lot of prepatao and a lot of running. Okay. <laughs> you know what? We just give up so easily, don't we? We give up too easily. Gets a little hot. God tells you seven, you've gone down three times. Ah, oh, well, I did at least three times. We are in a marathon, brothers and sisters. We're not in a hundred meter dash here. This is a long distance affair. And so, I got to bring this home. What is God looking? He's looking for obedience. He's not looking for partial obedience. Just ask King Saul. He suffered that for being partially obedient. He's looking for the Caleb's, not the Saul's. The Caleb that followed the Lord fully. Numbers chapter 14, verse 21. He followed the Lord fully. And so finally, finally, after five, oh, that was tough. The fifth, the sixth was the hardest, Lord. Six was hard. But somehow, I kept running. Oh, I was in a limp. I, I, I had a, a problem. I, I got a cramp on the sixth. I, I, I almost made it. I thought I was turning the lamp, the, the ramp, but my ankle started to feel I started to feel pain but I kept running I kept running and seven and after seven he went down the same you seven after seven dips he fait accompli seven he, he rises and suddenly as he rises he says the God of the suddenlies suddenly showed up again. My hands are doing. I don't see any blisters. My my nose, my skin. I, I don't. I don't have any of those blotches. And I, something's happened here, Lord. I wasn't sure when I went down the third and fourth time. I didn't see anything. And by the time the fifth time came in, I said, no, there's no way this is going to happen. And certainly by the sixth time. But, but, but I just somehow believed that if I kept going, if I just kept going, something would happen. I'm healed. Neiman is so thrilled. What does he do? He goes back to Elisha's house to tell him the good news. He brings gifts not to pay for his healing. He brings gifts in gratitude. Oh, by the way, folks, when you come to church and you worship the Lord, you bring the gift of praise to him. It's a gift. Praising, you're bringing 
the sacrifice of praise to him. He goes back to Elisha's house. He's so excited. He got healed. He got healed. He wants to bring gifts of appreciation to Elisha. He's so excited. It kind of reminds me of that leper, another leper, in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, when Jesus healed him. Even Jesus told him, don't tell anybody. But he's so excited. He just got healed like Naaman, and he went to proclaim what God had done. You can't keep it in when God does something. Don't you love that song? I won't be quiet. My God is alive. How can I keep it inside? Josh, are you here? <laughs> Stop wandering around the church. Where are you? Get on the key. Where, where is he? Uh, too late. <laughs> too late, man. We'll play it after. <laughs> I can't keep quiet. My God is alive. How can I keep it inside? He couldn't keep it inside. He goes to see Elisha. He wants to give him something. Verse 15. He says, Now I know. I've learned a lesson that God, there's no God on earth but the God of Israel. Verse 15, I have returned back to the man and his company. And he came and stood before me and he said, Behold, now I know, thank God, all that hell, all that pain, all that suffering had purpose. All that rejection had purpose. All those things I went through had purpose. When I went down the first time and second time, I didn't see it. It was painful. I was embarrassed. I was humiliated. I was offended. But I kept going and now I see it. It reminds me of Job chapter 42 verse 6. When Job was the most righteous man of all, he, he went through hell. Unbelievable pain. Unbelievable experiences. He didn't think he could make it either. But we come to the final chapter and Job says you know Lord I've heard you by the hearing of the ear I've heard you I know all about your teachings I've heard all about them I've heard thee by the hearing of the ear but, but, but now after all hell broke loose now after I've experienced all these things now after I've endured all things now as I went through the waters thou shalt not overcome me now that I've went through the furnace now mine eyes have seen you I know you now I've seen you There's no God like you. So he offers Elijah whatever he likes. Whatever you want. But Elisha refuses. It's an insult to him. He didn't do it. He couldn't accept a gift. He didn't heal him. It's an insult. Brother, sister, sister Bruna, if I go to your house for lunch, as I've gone many times, and sister Bruna, after I ate, can I give you a, a hundred dollars? Would you have taken it? Of course not. It's an insult. It's an insult to Elisha. I, first of all, I didn't do anything. This is all God. So, Naaman says, okay, I, I just want to say thank you. I, please. Ha ha ha. But the contrast now 
comes. Here is Gehazi, the man in the church, the assistant pastor, the leader of the school of the prophets, at least he would supervise. He is listening to this conversation between Naaman and Elisha. And he hears and sees Elisha refuse the gift. He's lurking in the weeds. What? Why would Elisha refuse all this money? I wouldn't. And Gehazi's mad. He's upset. Verse 20. Gehazi comes on the scene briefly and just leaves just as quickly. Gehazi is the servant of Elisha. He's got privileges. He's learning the ropes from Elisha. He took notice. He didn't like it. He was in the church. He saw Elisha refuse and it bothered him. Verse 20. You couldn't see it, could you? You couldn't see what was in his heart. You see, friends, you can't see what's in your heart. You can't see what's in the heart of others either, whether it's good or whether it's evil. Got to be careful how we make our judgments and assessments. But you couldn't see it. And now he's pursuing Naaman, verse 21. And he meets him in verse 22. Look what happens in verse 22. I'm going to read it. And he said, all's well, my master. He's caught up to Naaman. He got so upset, he's chasing after Naaman. He says, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's got, he says, saying, behold, even now they're come to me from Mount Ephraim. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. Two young men, the sons of the prophet. Give them, I pray thee, a talent, some money of silver, and some clothes. Two, two changes of clothes, please. Oh, one, two. You know... Elisha didn't want to tell you, but uh, I know the real needs of the church. So I'm going to tell you what we need. But Elisha refuses, and now Gehazi is on the prowl. Oh my goodness, he says two lies. Two young men from Ephraim, sons of the prophet. Not true. They're not even there. And can you give them some money, clothing. And it sounds so pious, doesn't it? You know, thank you because I want to give this money to others. You know, Naaman, it's not for me. You know, it's for others. You know, it's for other people. Don't you see? I'm... So he presents this pious disposition. It's for others, you know. We want to bless the, these Bible college students. Don't have, they don't have very much. Sounded so pious. And of course, Naaman says, yes, take even two talents. He gives him even more. And of course, Gehazi says, fine. And he walks away with hypocritical shyness. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, I didn't have to. His greed had prevailed. He yielded to his sin. What is sin? Is sin being tempted? No. Sin is yielding to your temptation.
was Gehazi doing? He was trying to make man's will appear like God's will. Manipulation. It's called the God card. I know nobody does this here. Oh, pastor, God said to me to tell you. This is God. God said, you should not be doing. Oh, by the way, God said that you, and God told me. Now, there's nothing wrong. That does happen. But there are people who say this over and over and over again. Well, God told me. And then if I had the audacity to say, excuse me, sir, well, when was the last time you prayed? Oh, well, we, a few months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But God told you, right? If I would tell you how many people misuse God's name, how do you dispute God said? How do you dispute, well, you know, God spoke to me. People use this God card. You've heard me preach on this. And I'm saying this not because I've never seen it more abused today than ever before. Ever. God said, God told me. Now God does speak, don't underestimate the police. Absolutely he speaks. But people use the God card to get their own way. Usually there's some kind of an agenda. There's an agenda, there's an agenda. So Gehazi prostitutes his calling by pursuing after his greed and his lust. Oh, the love of money is the root of all evil. Just ask Demas who forsook the things of God. First Peter calls it filthy lucre. There are people in the ministry, they're after the money. I got three G's to give you. Three big G's. You know why people fall? You know why pastors fall? You know why lay people fall? I'm going to give you three G's. Are you ready for this? Number one, glory, pride, pride. Number two, girls, sex and lust. And number three, greed. The three G's of downfall. Girls, greed and glory. Girls, greed and glory. And Gehazi, the assistant pastor, was filled with greed. Failed. Verse 24, how cunning is Gehazi. He sends his servants away. He doesn't want them to be seen. Verse 24, read it. He wants to do something in secret. When he came to the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house and he let the men go. And they, he hid what he took and he got rid of his servant. Doesn't want anybody to see what's going on. Here's another thing, if you heard me preach. The secret of being a saint is what? Being a saint in? Who you are is what you do in secret. So he does this in secret. He gets rid of the servants. Verse 25. And as he enters into Elisha, verse 25, his hut, Elisha says, Oh, Gehazi, where have you been? Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, oh, I didn't go anywhere. I just went out for a fresh breath of air. You know, it gets a little stuffy in this hut. You know, it's, it's hot here. Just went out. You know, went to pray. You know, I just wanted to get out. Didn't God say the same thing to Adam when he sinned? Saddam, Adam, wh where are you? You think God didn't know where he was? He just wanted to give Adam an opportunity to confess his sin. 
Gehazi, here's your chance to confess your sin, but now you're just filled with more excuses just to justify what you did. You could have had an opportunity to make it right. Oh, my friend, have you ever been caught red-handed? Whatever you sow, you will reap. That God will not be mocked. God, and so God unzips Gehazi's heart right in front of the prophet, just like Jesus unzipped the seven churches that we're going to visit, Lord willing, in 2025. He unzipped the heart of the church at Ephesus. They had great works. Oh, they had phenomenal works. Read it for yourselves. But Jesus said, Jesus, but I got a problem. You have left your first love. You don't love me like you used to. He unzipped the heart of Thyatira, unzipped the heart of Pergamos, unzipped the heart of the church of Sardis that looked so good on the outside. They were the biggest church. And Jesus looked at him. He says, You have an appearance of being alive. You got great programs. You might even dance at church. You got prophecy going on all over the place oh yeah, 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 you look very spiritual you have an appearance of being alive but you're dead Bible says Jesus eyes of fire to see right through and God's eyes of fire pierces Gehazi's heart you can't run from God Elisha asked Gehazi where have you been well Verse 26 and 27. What happens? He gets caught red-handed, but doesn't repent, tries to hide. You know, it amazes me, friends, that people can get caught red-handed and they'll still refuse to repent. What does it say in the book of Revelation chapter 6? They were running away from God in the tribulation period and they prayed that the rocks would fall on them and be killed rather than to repent and turn to God. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Gehazi had many chances to repent. That's the mercy of God, but he didn't. He didn't. What is the result? Naaman's leprosy came upon him. Wow. Just like we see in Second Chronicles 26, King Uzziah thought he was the greatest king. God had blessed him like, like, like the Syrian king. Prospered him. But King Uzziah, he took it upon himself and he thought he was great. And the Bible says God lifted away his hand from the blessings he got so arrogant King Uzziah he thought now he can do the priest's role the king was not supposed to touch what the priest does and the Bible says that, 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 that God in his anger smote him and that King Uzziah, became, King Uzziah became a leper leper leprosy is an emblem of sin Gehazi you are now a leper you're a leper You know, friends, some of us need to take another dip in the Jordan this morning. You've only gone a couple of times and God's calling you to go deeper. Some, some of you have stayed on the periphery much too long. You can't be the bride of Jesus 
and the girlfriend of Satan at the same time. Some of you need to repent, but you're hiding, you're running. Some of you are not content. You just want more and more like a hazy. More, we're giving you some application. More and more like, like a hazy. You're never satisfied, even when it comes to marriage. You will marry someone who is about 80% of what you want, but 20% looks good when, when, and looks massive when you're not getting it. And, 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 it's, and you seem unhappy. And so what do you do? Now you're leaving the 80% to get the 20%. Oh my goodness, only to find out you moved into the 20% and now you missed the 80%. Oh my goodness, brothers and sisters, it seems that we're never happy. We just want more and more and more. Paul said, I've learned whatever state I'm in to be content. I have an answer this morning. It's time for another dip. It's time to go further. Let me close. The eagle is the most majestic bird, especially the golden eagle. But eagles do have enemies. One of them are the crows. Has anybody ever seen red hawks flying and you see these birds just chasing them away and pecking at them? Has anybody ever seen that? Smaller birds pecking, flying, and there's bigger birds. And You ever see that? That's a reality in the eagle world. The crow does the same thing to the eagle. It pecks on its neck. It bothers him. It disturbs him. And the crow is smart and he's just doing it to annoy him. And so what does the eagle do? Does he fight back with the crow? Does he try to get even? How dare you? Don't you know I'm an eagle? No. Do you know what he does? The eagle begins to fly. To spread his wings. He knows if he gets a little higher, where the air is a little bit thinner, so high, because God's given him the capacity to fly higher, to go further. He knows that the crow, who can't breathe the same kind of air, because the crow's not made to breathe that type of air, he can't go that high. And as the eagle goes higher and higher, the crow falls off, and in some cases dies through asphyxiation. Brothers and sisters, when the crows of life come against you, you find yourself in difficulties, and you're being tempted, and you're going through all kinds of discouragement, and things don't make sense in your life, just go a little deeper, take another dip. Just go a little higher. And set your affections on things above. That, my friend, is what sets you apart from everyone else on the face of this earth. Obey the Lord. Some of you need to go for another dip. You know who you are. Because when God says seven, 